0: are listening to the therefore i geek podcast episode number 73
1: hi everybody and welcome to therefore a geek i'm andrew i'm tracy and i'm Zool. Zool. Zool.
0: and andrew's back
1: it didn't seem like that long because it really wasn't well it, it wasn't but also we pre-recorded an episode so i was really only gone for an episode
0: that's true it felt longer to me because i had to edit them I'm editing this one too oh god
2: it felt longer to you because you had to do work
0: <laughs> hey in, i do all in, the show notes
2: in effect yes <laughs> yeah no i was right yeah
0: so yeah anyways so, so today
1: yeah, today we're going to be talking uh, primarily ghostbusters but uh before we get into that we wanted to cover on a couple of topical things uh, first being the release and and kind of nuts insanity that has surrounded Pokemon Go.
0: World Takeover. Yeah. Um, So I think out of the three of us, I'm the only one that's played
2: so far, right?
1: I I downloaded it, but I haven't left the house today, so it doesn't really count as playing.
2: (laughs) I I, I honestly don't give a crap about it. I I haven't even bothered with it at all. Oh,
0: see, I'm really, I really like this game for a lot of implications. So the first thing that I really love about it is that when I was a little kid, um, and I pictured a world in which digital and analog worked in harmony. This is almost exactly what I pictured. I mean, maybe not the cell phone situation, but I mean, kind of this, this overlay of um, augmented reality in the world. So to me, it's like being a little kid. Also, the gameplay, for me at least, is very similar to the earlier games. And sorry, this is a throwback to when we, when I, Andrew got me into gaming, like the very old school Paperboy and Legends of Zelda, where I had no... there was no instruction. So I was just learning as I went along. And I've sort of avoided any forums or any instructional information that's on the internet for this one. And I'm just sort of playing the game and figuring it out as I go along. And it's so fun. It's just in a very childlike way so if you want to feel like a kid again I would highly highly recommend it if you prefer to remain an adult in all things then maybe not for you uh, but last time or last time last night I was wandering around downtown Hampton because uh, uh, Hampton Virginia does a block party every weekend during the summer and so apparently there were a lot of people first of all it's fairly historic so there are a lot of pokey stops and there were a lot of people putting lures on the stop so there's a pokey stop. And you you go up next to it. It's of course all G- G- GPS located. Um, yeah. What's the word? Geo- geospatial. And you walk up to a Poké Stop. It's usually something of historical importance or a landmark of some kind. And if you're right next to it, your phone will recognize that, and you can spin this little uh, photograph th- of the of the place on your phone. And then you get new Pokeballs to capture new Pokemon. Sometimes you get you know other items, eggs, that kind of thing. And then on some, you can also pay for a lure and rare Pokemon will be attracted to this lure. And um, you don't have to be the only one that benefits from it. So if you're in a public area and you go ahead and set a lure, you could get 16 or 17 different people wandering over trying to get rare Pokemon. So it was really cool because there were a lot of people running around putting these lures up. So I was wandering across the street in downtown Hampton, right across from the Virginia and Space Center. And... As I'm walking across, I'm looking at my phone because I'm trying to find the next Pokéstop, and this woman and guy who would clearly had just been at the bars wander over. They go, "Are you Pokémoning?" And I said, "Yeah, I am." And they go, "Oh, there's a, a there's some rare Pokémon over by the bank. Go over there." So these were people that weren't even playing the game, but they'd probably heard it from someone else that there was a Pokémon sitting over there. So we wandered over in that direction, tried to capture it, and I just thought it was so. I mean. It felt very neighborly. It felt very cool. There are people that are geeks and there are people who are not geeks getting in on the action on this game, whether you download it and play it or not. And it was just very friendly. It was probably one of the more friendly interactions I've had with strangers in a really long time.
1: So That's because your interactions with strangers don't involve candy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's true. Mine, on the other hand, do. And also- windowless vans. Yeah, also vans.
0: Ah. Uh. So on that note, um, yeah, I, I, I really have been enjoying the game. So, dude, I know you are really excited about all the bad things that have been happening to people playing this game.
2: Let me see. Oh, I, I, I love some of them. Are really horrific. Let's.
1: I mean, I like, the, f- I like the, the fact that they found they found dead bodies.
0: Oh, oh you yeah, so, right. I forgot. Oh, there's about a,
2: that. There's a couple of them. So, uh, Smoking Gun dated July fourteenth, two thousand sixteen. Former Marine was trying to catch Pokemon sea creature when he drove into a tree. The New York man yeah. who wrapped his car around a tree while playing Pokemon Go is a former Marine who was trying to catch a Lapras, a blue sea creature, right before the crash Tuesday night. Steve Carey, 28, suffered a broken ankle and leg lacerations when he slammed into the tree while driving along near Lake Auburn, an upstate city about 25 miles west of Syracuse. So, uh, cops...
0: I'm out loud.
1: Well, no, I was, cops... was going to say, if, if it hadn't been for the ex-Marine thing, I would have thought that Billy Joel was playing uh, Pokemon <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Wrapped car around tree. That's believable. Joel. A
2: cop's report that Carrie admitted to, act, quote, actively playing the Pokemon Go game while driving, causing him to become distracted and run off the roadway into a tree. End quote. He's expected to be sighted in connection with the one-car crash. According to the family members, Carrie spotted the Lapras Pokemon and became briefly distracted, allowing the vehicle to careen off the roadway and into a tree. In an email, Carrie's mom said that her son was, quote, injured and extremely tired right now end quote adding that quote my son is a former marine who is trying to be a firefighter and an emt end quote yeah it was uh and blasted... apparently
0: ash also. yeah
2: bla- blasted apart a 1996 honda accord yep it's it's well, a that thing ni- was probably
0: on its last legs anyways it's a
2: pretty nice smack i mean like you look at the picture and you're just like "Geez." he
0: smacked into it
2: oh yeah nice. um what What's another one here? Uh, Phoenix from the AP Pokemon Go craze across the US has people wandering into yards, driveways, cemeteries, and even an off-limits police parking lot in search of cartoon monsters, prompting warnings that trespassers could get arrested or even worse, especially if they cross paths with an armed property owner.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Did you see the one about the two guys that fell off a cliff?
2: I have I heard about that one. I don't I don't have that one pulled up, but I do like this. So far, few tickets have been issued, and there have been no reports of arrests or results on trespassers playing the game. Those uh, whose object is to use the phones' GPS technology to find and capture animated little creatures in the real world. Uh, this stuff, this stuff, uh, is just too much to me. Um, right around. You were talking about the lures, right? Yes. So St. Louis, St. Yeah. Louis, Missouri, two, uh, July tenth. Police say that four men used newly released Pokemon Go, go- game to commit multiple robberies, robberies in the St. Louis and St. Charles counties. Police say they believe the suspects conducted multiple armed robberies by targeting their victims through the Pokemon Go game.
0: Yeah, they would set lures, I think, and then people would come over and not paying attention and, and get held up.
2: Which... Yeah, I also I, and the one in...
0: I'm not sure if in, I lived in Am- St. Louis if I
2: would actually play this game. Yeah, in New Hampshire, I think, is where they found the body. I mean, there was one like right outside Holocaust Museum. Or they, something. they
1: found uh, they found two. They found one. There's one in Nashville, New Hampshire, and they also found one in I think Montana. Yeah, that's
2: that's something. And then there's been a couple of videos of like people in Central Park, and I've got one from the Telegraph showing a group of people just just launching themselves in one direction to catch these little. <laughs> it's really that's really. That's hilarious. Awesome. Nice. It's really something. But, I mean, it's funny. At work, uh, a couple of my coworkers are really into the game. I-, I really have very little interest. I downloaded the Star Realms app, and that's basically what's been wrapping up my time. And we were sitting there in the office going, how long is it the- going to take the base to put out guidance on playing Pokemon Go? And it, it turned out it took a week and a day so they finally like nice. released guidance. And they're basically like, don't go into restricted areas or ships' engine rooms chasing Pokemon. <laughs> Stuff like that. And I remember a buddy of mine uh, on Facebook posted a picture of someone catching a Pidgeot, a Pidgeot, or Pidgey, a, yep. Pidgeotto or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. A Pidgey. Like a Pidgey off a twerking stripper's ass in the club. That's some of the stuff is awesome. That's awesome. Is,
0: uh, on, a, on a more positive note, I have seen photos of young people setting up Pokemarts which is their own nickname. So it, they'll be near a a Pokestop or whatever, and they'll set up like little cardboard, like, like a lemonade stand, but it'll have soda and chips and stuff, and they'll sell them. I think that's so cool. It's encouraging entrepreneurship and, you know, stuff. Possibly also drug deals. Who knows? It's anyway, well. so yeah. So that's Pokemon Go. Um, our second story of the day is Frank Cho quits DC in...
2: Yes, this is this uh, Quitting DC as the variant cover artist for the Wonder Woman line. Man, it has just not been a good couple years for variant artists, variant cover artists. Yeah. Uh, this coming from BleedingCool.com. Frank Cho was a number of A-list comic book artists commissioned by DC Comics to create 24 variant covers for the first year of their relaunched twice-monthly comic books. I guess they're doing this whole thing again. I'm not a DC reader, so I don't know what's going on.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so basically Cho walks away from this and he ba- and apparently he wants, well, let's just let's start from the beginning. Uh, he talks to Bleeding Cool and issues a statement to BleedingCool.com about why he's left Wonder Woman after just six covers. Here it is. Quote, All the problem lies with Greg Ruka, who is the Wonder Woman. Ruka. Called Ruka. out. Ruka. Yeah, Ruka. Um, excuse me. Uh, who is the writer of Wonder Woman, everyone says this, apparently they have him quoted in caps on this one, loves my Wonder Woman covers and wants me to stay. Greg Rucka is the only one who has any problem with the covers. Greg Rucka has been trying to alter and censor my artwork since day one. Greg Rucka, how many, th- can we just play a drinking game with how many times he mentions the man's name? He in wants no
0: doubt. No yeah. doubt in anyone's but mind.
2: My Wonder Woman uh, number three cover was vulgar and showed too much skin. And has been spearheading censorship, which is baffling since my Wonder Woman image is on model and shows the same amount of skin as the interior art. And it's a variant cover, again, in in all caps. And he should have no editorial control over it. But he does. W-2-F-T-F. I tried to play nice, not rock the boat, and do my best on the covers. But Greg's weird political agenda against me and my art has made the job impossible. Wonder Woman was the only reason I came to DC Comics. To DC's credit, especially art director Mark Elgad, another one of these names I can't, Chil- Chilero? Chirello. Chirello. Ch- 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 yeah. Ch- Ch- yeah. yeah. They have been very accommodating, but they are caught in between a rock and a hard place. I just want to be left alone and do my Wonder Woman variant covers in peace, but Greg Rucca is in a hostile power trip and causing unnecessary friction over variant covers. So this kicked off craziness uh, immediately after after he walked away, and basically the the industry seemed to draw battle lines and and literally hashtags for. I mean, see that article dropped. Excuse me, let me just do that. Came out the fourteenth. The next day on the fifteenth, uh, BleedingCool.com has just reaction from. Everyone across the the spectrum, people going Team Frank Cho with all these hashtags, other people just being incredibly angry at him, calling themselves Team Rucka, people going as far as to say Cho's work is sleazy, he's fake powerment, and goodbye and good riddance, why others decry censorship. And it continued on and on and on and on, where Cho's favorite uh, Internet outlet the Mary Sue actually reached out for him, and he gave a really really lengthy uh, statement and, as and to fairly, what's happened.
1: Fairly reasonable, I felt.
2: Yeah, so let's let's read it. Here. Let me read it here. I got to print it printed out in front of me because I couldn't when I printed it out off the website it didn't work. So and he's not a fan of the Mary Sue. In uh, another bleeding, and they're not really
1: a fan of his either.
2: No, yeah. they are really not. Um, they've been out for. Blood, uh, his blood for a while, and he in a interview when they when they announced he's leaving DC. Bleeding Cool did an interview with him. This is Dateline, May third, two thousand sixteen. It's a fairly good uh, interview between him and Bleeding Cool. They ask him. Bleeding Cool says there has been plenty of social media cri- criticism. You've you were painted as the worst choice for the series. I think talking about Wonder Woman, embodying all that is sexist and skeevy about comic books. Is it possible your covers will put Women off the comic or simply send the wrong message about the book and chose responses as a lifelong liberal Democrat and advocate for free speech and equal rights. It fascinates me to see when ultra liberals become ultra conservatives, where they see injustices everywhere and cease to see reason. He goes on and on and on, talks about his huge female fan base. And then he continues. They are absolutely wonderful and they don't share the hateful political views of Mary Sue. And the Comics Alliance sites. And and the full interview will be up there. I won't go through the entire thing. It's fairly uh, extensive. But his statement to the Mary Sue kind of, it's almost a page long when you print it out. Cracks Mm -hmm. it open and he says, since you've asked me a straight question, I'm going to to answer honestly as possible from my point of view. So he already detects animus between him and the Mary Sue, but he's going to be straightforward with them. Uh, He goes on. Wonder Woman was my dream job at DC, I, at DC Comments. I love and respect the character very much. When I was invited by DC to draw the 24 variant covers for Wonder Woman, I was ecstatic. I was told that I had complete freedom on the varying covers and with the only person in charge of me was my ce- uh, the senior art director. Mark, what's his name again? Cherello? Mm-hmm. Cherello? Yep. I gotta practice names before I read this crap. Uh, who I greatly respect. Win-win for everyone. Now the variant covers are handed by an entirely separate editorial office than the rest of the books. I was given assurance that I would not have to deal with the Wonder Woman book writer or editor at all. And where and we're told I oops and we're told I would only be dealing with Mark with, with, with Mark. So I came on board and started working right away. Everything went smoothly at first. I turned in my first batch of cover sketches and Mark approved them. And I started finishing and inking them ASAP since these were bi-weekly covers and we had limited time. Then Mark started getting notes from Greg Rucka, ordering him to tell me to alter the cha- alter and change things on the covers. Remove an armband, make the skirt longer, and cover up a bit. Stop showing too much skin, add a lasso here, etc. Well, Mark and I were baffled and annoyed by Rucker's art change orders. More so, since the interior pages were showing the same amount or more skin than my variant covers. And he gives an example. I requested that Mark Rucker back off and let me do my variant covers in peace. After all, these were minor and subjective changes. Let's face it, being told by a non-artist, artistic freelancer, what I can and cannot draw didn't sit too well with me then things got ugly apparently unbeknownst to mark and myself or me dc for whatever reason gave mark brock complete and total editorial control on wonder wound including variant covers by contract my promises of creative freedom were verbal i think this is a case of complete miscommunication and things falling through the cracks during the post dc headquarter move to los angeles i had I known Mark Rucker had complete editorial control over the variant covers, I would have never come on board Wonder Woman. Since we were on the same team with the same goal, making great Wonder Woman comics, Mark and I tried to reason with Greg Rucker to back off and let me do variant covers in peace. But Rucker refused and tried to hammer me in line. Things escalated and got toxic very fast. The act of a freelance writer. Art directing me, overruling my senior art director, uh, altering my artwork without consent was too much. I realized after Rucker's problems with my Wonder Woman 3 variant cover, my excitement and desire for the project have completely disappeared, and I decided to bow out quietly after I finished my Wonder Woman number 4 variant cover. This is around the end of May. But DC wanted me to stay on and finish out number 5 and number 6 covers, to give them time to find a replacement. So I stuck it out, tried to deal with the flagrant disrespect for six issues and quietly stepped off until Bleeding Cool came, gave me little choice but to respond. They caught wind that there was some discord in the Wonder Woman office over my covers and was about to cast negative light on the wrong people. So I went public yesterday and sent the story, set the story straight, correct, correctly naming Greg Rucka as the source of the problem before the wrong information was published. So that's that. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little torn on this one. Um, I think Gail Simone kind of put it best that, you know, yes. So uh, Frank Cho has responded publicly. Greg Rucca has completely refused to comment at all. Mm-hmm. And in, fa- in fact, basically said, um, his his choice to st- his non-involvement is his choice and not anyone else's like nobody else has a right to know which is I thought was a an interesting stance to take but instead of just not commenting but you know I think like I said Gail Simone kind of said it best you know we really don't know what's actually going on mm-hmm hmm Obviously, there there is some dispute, and I think Frank Show at least has some justification for uh, being un- unhappy with the, the number three variant cover. So, if you, I mean, if you, and we'll obviously we'll put up a uh, the image between the original sketch and the the final cover, but basically they cropped in the bottom and right hand side of the image to to. Uh
2: they basically tried to cover up her butt. Yeah. Well, and
0: to play devil's advocate, although I agree with you that if the writer on the comic is, is, is actually has editorial um, privileges on the variant cover, which seems a little odd, I can see why that would really tick off an artist. I really can see that. However, I think that the issue with this is not so much even that she's showing so much skin, but more that she's showing her panty line. Which, well, but again, that it, seems a little in bad taste to me. But
2: okay, I mean, but I it, it I'm was, not even certain that's her panty line. That could just be shorts. Yeah, well, but I, I guess.
0: mean,
1: regardless, I, I think the issue is that Frank Cho, in good faith, made this finished art, and then without his consent, they trimmed it. They cut it
0: after it had been they, apparently approved by his senior editor.
1: Well, I don't know about that part, but yeah it it was changed without his consent and and i that that part that's the part i i agree with him in in terms of taking issue on
2: so let's clear at least one thing up because we covered this on our censorship issue i actually think the calls of censorship are a little overblown provided again what 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 show knew about who had editorial control or not so when you enter into a contract and he said his was verbal but when you enter into an agreement with someone who is the editor, they have final say over what you produce. You are their employee, and, you know, they're, or they're your client. So you have to produce something that they have the final say over. So it's not a censorship issue in that case, right? in, as far as I'm concerned.
1: No, I don't think it's a censorship issue. I think right, but that's
2: something that's, that's come up. So I wanted to clear... Well, that's because
1: people throw the word censorship around without having a full understanding of what they're saying.
2: Which is why I just said what I said. That, that's why I wanted to clear that up. The other thing, though, is if Cho had no idea that this was going to happen, and he basically says, if I knew that these were the conditions of my employment, I wouldn't agree to it, you know, he has every right to just walk away. He says, okay, yeah. if these, mm-hmm. the, if these are the conditions. I don't have to do this. See ya, and that's it. I, I think this is basically the way the marketplace of ideas work out, is once he understood the conditions that he, of his employment, Fully, know, and, and I understand that he probably would have been super pissed when he got blindsided with these notes of like, "Who the hell is this guy? Who are you?" Right. And he's like, "All right, this is not working." The other thing that seems to be suggested is these two guys do not like each other.
1: No. Although, again, I mean, I don't personally know Rucca. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Name wrongs. I at don't know. I don't know a lot about him. I, I mean, he's a very talented writer. Uh, this series called Queen and Country that was. Uh, British spy but like no shit won him
2: won him a number of awards
1: yeah and I've I've read the first couple of volumes and it is it is spectacular actually you you would probably really enjoy it because it's it's not like James Bond kind of spy it's like no shit CIA MI6 spy it's very good I mean yeah some of I think some of his politics bleed through in that I would not have pegged him as one having a particularly aggressive political agenda. Yeah. From from what I've read of his. So, again, I don't know the person, so maybe he does. And
2: Yeah, and look, I'll, I'll just tell you my bias out front. I'm a huge fan of Cho's. I love his artwork. No, Kevin. I think
1: Frank Cho's art is great, too.
2: I've yeah. bought a number of his books, and I've met the guy a couple times and spoken to him about similar topics. So, I just think... There, there really isn't a fight to be had here. I think those who It's also are
0: odd that it's over a variant cover. I mean, I guess it's not odd, but... Well, it, at this point, that, that's
2: really not an odd thing because it's almost always over a variant <laughs> cover. <laughs> yeah, I am about to say, it's bad. If, if you're a variant cover artist, you got to be like, oh, man, better put the padding on because it's going to get crazy. But yeah. I think this is just the way, indes- uh, for whatever reason, because we've tinged so much with our, our art with politics these days everything gets thrown in that lens. And I just think it's an artist who was working with a guy who just wasn't working out. He says, okay, this is not... You're trying to tell me how to do my art. I'm not going to stand for it. Thanks, but no thanks, goodbye. I think that's just the way it should have gone.
1: Yeah, I guess like I, I, don't, I don't... I understand why he got upset with the cover. Yep. But I also, and I, I also don't... I also see it as a, him leaving as a non-issue. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. pe- people are... you know, There are people out there who are, who are celebrating over Frank Cho leaving. It's like, I, I don't, I don't see it's, that as, as yeah. a victory. I think it's just, this, this is, this happens. I mean, that yeah. there are plenty of times where a writer or artist will walk away from a series for one reason or another mm-hmm. that it's had nothing to do
0: with politics or anything like that. His statement yeah, was a little bit strongly worded, but it wasn't even well, pissed off. Yeah. It w- it wasn't even, he, I mean, he didn't say anything about Rucka's mom or anything. I mean, this wasn't, they weren't even trading insults. He just sort of gave his version of events. So he's yeah, like, I don't,
2: yeah, I, I I see what Andrew's going with is people do people do not like Frank Cho. There is yeah. a strong contingent out there that don't like him, and anyone anything that gets him off mainstream books, people are going to be happy about. And it's anything too that gets bad because
0: off- even that third variant is beautiful work. Honestly, I mean, the, both the both f- versions.
1: No, the first one is fantastic. Oh yeah, that's. Gorgeous, I can't too. I can't understand why they would be
2: pissed off about the first one, but that makes whatever. Uh, again, it just it just it just felt. So super personal but i don't think and i'll post a couple because he's done a few other things with wonder woman where he sent out like sketches uh this is also from bleeding cool where he recreates he's done that manor thing we've talked about before where she's hanging off the side of the uh uh the building with her butt sticking out he's done it with wonder woman and batman looking at her butt and he's like and i can look at it right here and he's like what are you doing and Wonder Wonder woman's in there go please go viral please go viral trying to uh boost the popularity of my book right he's made, he's he's been he's been needling those the very the regressives for a while oh, he's got sure. another one that he sketched out there and he put out a uh, wonder woman looking at her butt saying great Hera, why does frank cho keep drawing me with a giant ass i miss i miss adam hughes he always drew me with a skinny ass like that stuff to me is funny but it it rubbed people the wrong way oh sure yeah. Yeah. yeah, And and honestly, I don't think Cho is is suffering here. I mean, in that interview that I talked to you earlier, um, they asked him, have these scandals hurt you in any way? And his response is, oh, God, no, quite the opposite. It blew me up into the stratosphere. The traffic on my web page has tripled. Interest and awareness in my art have gone way beyond the normal comic book community. And people treat me like a rock star at shows. So you know what? Everything to me feels like this played out exactly the way it should have. Nothing to see here, folks. Let's move on. Yeah.
1: Speaking, speaking of, of... Yeah, speaking of moving on. So, now we're going to talk Ghostbusters.
0: Our big Ghost topic Busters. for the week.
2: Yes. Let's let's get into this. Ghostbusters, the... Oh, crap. I just had it, and it went away. I got I got so many freaking pages open <laughs> on my web. <webber. laughs> Ghostbusters remake of the 1984 Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis classic has hit theaters this weekend with an all-new cast starring Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kathy McKenna, Leslie Jones, and... Uh, Beefcake for Chris Hemsworth, uh, rebooting the entire series about four or three scientists and a streetwise New Yorker fighting the paranormal. The movie is directed by Paul Fig of Spy, The Heat, and Bridesmaid fame and was also written by Katie Deployed. So did you guys... Give give me a, a couple sentences, what you felt about the movie, and then we'll move right into it.
0: Um, I, before, I, I wasn't thrilled I, th- I felt this movie let me down a little bit but before I talk about that I really want to point out that as far as reboots go I thought it did a decent job of n- calling back to the original movie without beating us over th- it was not just a play by play remake it was a reboot I don't necessarily know that the callbacks were always very well done but I will say that they were not aggressive or in my face all that much so for what that's worth, I would say that as a positive.
2: All right, Andrew, what do you think? Give me a couple sentences on, on your thumbnail review of Ghostbusters. The
1: movie wasn't terrible. It wasn't, am- it wasn't amazing. And I, I think the movie just in general starts in a no-win no scenario yeah, coming out as, as a reboot of what is generally considered to be one of the most perfect or near-perfect comedies ever uh, filmed. Yeah. I think having said that, I mean, some of that I think, at least in my case, is, is it's personal, not not the fact that I'm, I'm a Ghostbusters fan, but not, I'm not not like an epic Ghostbusters fan. A lot of it was just not my style of comedy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, as far I, I'll have to say, I didn't like this. I just certainly didn't hate it, but I felt this was about as objectively a bad film as you can make. I thought overall, from top to bottom there were problems i thought the performances of all four leads were i mean and even chris hemsworth were cartoony unconvincing and over the top i felt the plot while they did reboot it just basically retransformed a, a interesting comedy plot from the 80s into a big cliched mega blockbuster it felt terribly yeah. out of place i thought paul fig was not the right person to do this luckily he Luckily, he was able to restrain Melissa McCarthy's verbal diarrhea. However, this has to be one of the most poorly directed and edited films I've seen in a good long while. Everything felt very staged, very set up, and very robotic. It didn't have the kind of charm, the down-to-earth charm and grit that the original film had. And in the end, I, I just don't think it delivered what what it was aiming for. And I in in the end I, I was going into this somewhat optimistic and you guys know I'm, I've been on the record this movie's gonna make serious money.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I might be a little wrong about that. We'll talk about See, it in a second. I, I don't but, I don't know that you're wrong, but Well no, I, I, I have something on it. But so I would have to just say this was this was bad and I think just about as bad did I hate it? No. I've certainly hated movies more than this one. But this was bad and it's certainly disappointing because I think Tracy and I talked about it prior to going on a uh, recording. Ghostbusters was a great film. Ghostbusters 2 was a worthy follow-up. The cartoons were worthy uh, add-ons. The video game was a worthy add-on. This is, to me, the first serious dud in the franchise. And uh, it's disappointing. It's more disappointing than anything else.
0: I, I have to say, I, I'd really agree with a lot of what you're saying there. But it starts with, in my opinion, the casting and the director because Kristen Wiig, I've never liked Kristen Wiig. I don't like her humor. I don't like the way that she performs. Uh, Melissa McCarthy more so. She's a little more hit or miss depending on who's directing her and who's writing her screenplay. And Kate McKinnon is the person I like least in Hollywood right now, I think. I don't like her on SNL. I don't like her... I don't like her style of humor. I don't like the way she plays characters. I don't like the sloppy you know, arms over the back of the chair slouching, I'm basically a disgusting bachelor sort of play. I don't like that. Her lines were fine. It wasn't about her script. It was more about how she plays characters, and it was disgusting.
1: See, of, yeah. of, of the characters in the movie, I actually liked her character the most.
0: Oh, oh really? really?
1: Yeah. See, I thought hers was the mo- was the most interesting. Oh.
2: See, I'm inclined to agree with Tracy on this one, almost a hundred percent. I and I generally like Kristen Wiig. I thought she was the most talented thing on SNL for years. Very disappointed in, in well, this uh, kind uh, of sh- the
1: years you're talking about that didn't take much. I could I could have trained a potato <laughs> to be more entertaining than no. This is all this is all
2: true. But I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I want to come out and just say I was I was a Kristen Wiig fan. I thought she does a lot of interesting stuff. She was terribly disappointing in this. Melissa McCarthy, who I do like, we have to admit, is a one note act what she does is she talks trash for a really long time and they cut her back in this one which was good because it saved the movie from being four hours long i was
0: gonna say she played a straight role fairly well especially during the interview with um what's what was the kid's name i don't even i think of him as thor kevin. every time i see him kevin that's kevin, right kevin, yeah. so when they were doing the interview and she was playing the straight the straight role to Kristen and kate's just slobbering all over him i thought she actually did really well so, there. and i
1: I was—I've been talking about this a lot with Becky. See, I think nobody played the straight man well, and that the cast mm-hmm. needed a straight man. It that didn't have, have to help. be the same person. So, like, and the idea behind a straight man—the straight man is basically the person who sets up the joke, right? They—they kind of—they're they're like the pitcher. They put the ball in play, and someone else hits it. And what—what what this felt a lot more like was you had four individuals throwing up balls and cracking them out themselves.
2: Yeah, and that—that's a really good analogy. And I—I want to just amplify with Tracy I thought McKinnon was wretched in this but she was very difficult to watch and and we we're, were sitting there I, I, I wanted to see it with a big audience I didn't get a chance I saw it around 11 o'clock Friday night because I had a show so I didn't get a chance to get see a big mm-hmm. audience they kind of liked it I mean I think I chuckled twice uh, the girl was with me she didn't laugh once at this film and the audience there were huge stretches of silence. These jokes yeah. really, really, really fell flat. That's the thing. It just wasn't funny. And then it just got bizarre as it went on and on and on. It just, yeah. so the, was, whole, the whole thing with Kevin, I want to talk briefly about that, was such a strange and unnecessarily stupid character that didn't generate any laughs see, at I, all. At I actually,
1: I kind of enjoyed that just because I kept thinking of stupid Thor.
2: You're I right. I, can't, I can't think
1: of him as I can't th- I'm sorry. I can't think of Chris Hemsworth as anything but Thor. Yep. And same. so it's Thor doing stupid things. Yeah.
2: You sh- you should have seen In the Heart of the Sea because he was basically Thor the whaleboat captain. <laughs> it was it was really bad.
0: I have to say that uh, Kurt brought up something really interesting and he said this as actually this was sort of set up as a feminist wet dream. You know, uh, we're we're redoing a full cast of male characters as a full cast of female comedians. And so I sort of Maybe maybe I was missing we, that, but that's what I felt like was going on in the. Yeah,
2: can we get to that in just one second? Because I wanna I wanna interpret the film, but I I wanna talk about it as a movie first. Okay. And then and then we'll get into that because I do because that's where we get into the landmine. I think the land the that's where the minefield is. But I, I will disagree with, with Tracy with a little bit. I thought pretty much all the cameos, with the exception of um, Ernie L's cameo in the film were really forced and superfluous. Ernie and who? Uh, the the guy who was um Winston is that Ernie Hudson? Ernie Hudson. Hudson, I'm sorry, they was a different guy.
0: That's okay. I called uh, him Eddie Murphy after the movie last night. Yeah, no, that's
2: what, I kind of um, like. Yeah, I don't
0: know. They, they weren't bad. One. I liked
1: Annie Potts's.
0: Yeah, Annie yeah. Potts's was good, and I I didn't even recognize Dan Aykroyd. He's well, that's because
1: Dan Aykroyd's gotten really fat.
0: I was gonna say he gained <laughs> a lot of weight. I was gonna try to be nice, but he gained a lot of weight. I did not. Oh, no, he's getting a. Ton of I was sitting there going huh I was walking through the cast of the original in my head like okay we saw them we saw them where, where was Dan Aykroyd he was the producer and Kurt goes executive, he producer. Was an executive producer he goes he was the taxi cab driver you didn't see and I was like
2: yeah God. I thought all of that was terrible I mean that would just the only one I thought that was really bad was Sigourney Weaver's awful it mean, just appears out of nowhere like some sort of ghost and even the characters are like where the I fuck did you head head come from the green Where's eating
0: ghost to me was the worst throwback
2: Slimer? Yes. Well, no, what I thought was awful was the the um, the female Slimer. I was like, really? Oh, are we doing? Yeah. I thought that was just ridiculous. And was it me or did was the golden bust in Columbia early in the film, was that a bust of um, Rick Moranis? There's, there's a bust oh, along I, if that the wall. Was, I know, I, I, I
1: recognized.
2: Cause, I, I know, cause, I, it was definitely something, but I don't know what. Because the girl turned to me and went, is that Rick Moranis' bust? Like, is that his face? They just, is that how they, because he declined to be in it. And I was like, the one way they got him in this by just putting a bust of him somewhere in in the film.
1: It was also amusing watching Tywin Lannister as a. Uh, oh, oh I thought that was great.
0: Gosh, that was that was that was fantastic. That was great. I did but like the first ghost. I have to say that that scene in the house that was where I really felt. Oh, hey, this is actually a reboot. We're not repeating the library. We're not repeating that. It was similar, but it well, was different yeah, in good ways. And she in, looked beautiful.
1: No, she looked bad. I liked. it. Uh, it looked like a video game.
0: You know, well, I, 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 I ex- that, but the original kind of did. I thought that was the yeah, whole but that was point. 1980s.
1: That was the 1980s. Was it
0: supposed to? Okay, I thought it was supposed to play out as a little cheesy, so I liked it.
1: No, I mean, I expected more from a Hollywood production than what I see from a video game.
2: It's it was a $140 million film, which incidentally was the, would have been the exact budget of the first film if they filmed Dan Aykroyd's original script. Uh, so that, that, huh. I, that puts that in perspective a little bit. That's but I I agree for the most part I thought the ghost looked okay up until the very end and oh, things yeah. just got r- ridiculous and that and that to me just kind of violated I mean the whole part about Ghostbusters is making it this big blockbuster action film and it was like we're being different that's right you just packed it with action cliches that's we've seen all this before mm-hmm. we've also heard all these jokes before there was really nothing special here yeah. Uh, you know, if you've seen Bridesmaids, you've heard all these jokes. Yeah, so that I was did. the
0: other thing. I felt like it, <laughs> I felt a lot of Bridesmaid humor. In this. You
1: know, I didn't feel that as much. I felt half the time I couldn't tell if I was watching Ghostbusters or a scary movie-esque parody of Ghostbusters.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, really, the way it was edited made me feel like I was watching a film student movie. That this was a college I, film. I, just, I mean, I, I, it was so bad it, in that it, respect. See,
1: the editing didn't really stick out to me. I thought i thought i thought warcraft was way worse than this
2: warcraft was worse but however that doesn't make this one good i mean was it worse
0: yeah, it was that, bad
2: but well, it, was, it was worse uh, there are, but the, no but there are parts of this and and i think it's the combination of editing and and directing here where there are scenes for instance where uh holtzman is explained it just appears out of nowhere and it's like we're gonna talk about the guns we make and it was like where did this come from and then yeah. you get another jump where they're in the the camera sets up on the hood of Echo One, and they go, "Are you ready to save New York?" And they cheer. It was like, what is this? Another good <laughs> example is the guy graffitiing the Ghostbusters logo on the subway uh, walls. I thought, how contrived can we get? That that one film? did
0: stand out to me a little bit. I it thought.
2: was, it was, to me, it was just one after another, and and I thought the rock and the rock concert scene was just. The epitome of how bad it could get in terms of. The I way thought it
0: was that did. that could have been set. If that had been set up better, it would have been nice. Honestly, I I liked the look of that scene pretty well. well.
1: well I didn't feel much like a heavy metal concert, but other it than that, no, it, didn't. No, it really did. And then it was like, other, other, the, other than that, it was just like, I was. So I mean, like, I, honestly, I didn't. I don't know that this movie. Part, part of the problem I think we're having with this movie, is. We is how much is how good the original is honestly i, I think yeah and, and like i said, like i mean I, w- this movie kind of kind of came out in an, on, in an almost no-win scenario where that no matter how good it could it was and i'm not saying it is, is anywhere near as good as it could be but no matter how good it is it's still not going to be the original and it's still not going people are still going to be are going to crap on it because of, of yeah. it not being that good
0: that's a very fair assessment
2: that's true. However, I think two things can be true at the same time. No, uh, certainly. Every, every, everything Andrew said can be true. The movie And can it can also, have also be really bad. And I think that was the, the issue. And I'll look. I'll I, again, I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's really
1: bad, but certainly I think there are I issues. Mean,
2: I, I understand. I, 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 and I'll say my bias up front. I watched the first two Ghostbusters at a, as an adolescent almost religiously. Right. I mean, weekly I would put them on. I could, well, as a teenager, I could quote them almost perfectly. And I kind of outgrew them. And the girl and I had an opportunity to watch a table reading of the Ghostbusters script down here in in South Park. And so it was just local comedians reading the script. And we got to really just hear the script as it was written. And it's a phenomenally well-written script. It is just so good, especially when you just listen to it and don't see it. it. It sinks in with how good it is. So... It is thankless to I think reboot something that has been considered a classic for now going on over thirty years. And again, it goes back to the original points I think a lot of people made when the when this was announced was why? No one no one wants this and we're rebooting it with a new completely new cast, and we'll get into the the, the political implications of it. I, I would have actually been okay with the if this new film if it were a Ghostbusters 3. And they set it in the same universe because in the original idea of the movie, the Ghostbusters were supposed to be like a, a public utility or a public service uh, group, that they were huh. like cops. That like, was the original idea. Or like a franchise. I've also heard that. Yeah, yeah so if they had done that with Akroyd and, and uh, Ernie Hudson and, and Murray as the original characters, keeping it all continuity... I would have actually been okay with this, but this kind of we're going to try it again and do better or do different. It was like, you why? We don't we're not no yeah. one really was asking for this. But let's let's get into it. You were talking Tracy about how people felt walking out of it, the interpretation of the film. What what were you going to say there?
0: Well, for that I went into it because I felt that it had been marketed on top of the comedy as a little bit of a girl power film. Again, we're recasting all of this this four person male comedic team as, as female comedic ter- team. And so which I, which
1: I would like to point out there, there was a lot of outcry over when that when the cast was announced.
0: There was a lot. Oh definitely.
2: A lot. No doubt. And and a
1: lot of it was not necessarily deserved. It was very, very virulent.
0: Yeah. So I would say that and this was I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Kurt came up with this. I did not come up with it. But he pointed out that Everything good that the, the, this female team had give, was given to them. They didn't really earn a whole lot in this movie. And one of the, one of, a couple of the points would be that they weren't able to go get their own car. They borrowed it from an uncle. They didn't get the firehouse that was given to them at the end. It just I thought that that was a very interesting setup given that some of the premise was that this was a girl team. And that they sort of played up the idea that these girls had sort of been bullied and picked on and so forth, and then they ended up, uh, you know, just doing pursuing their passions, pursuing their dreams.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd go that f- go that far. I mean, y- certain things were given to them, but those those are really kind of ancillary to to the plot of the movie. Yeah, th- I mean, the car is kind of a, a, a classic, you know, Ghostbusters bit of a visual. Sure. But beyond that, I mean, I really don't think. I, I don't think that had anything, you know. Th- it's more about them trying, them saving New York, saving the world, than it is
2: about them getting the car. Yeah, that's well, true. That's, well, that's kind of the point, though. If you go back to the original, you remember the firehouse had all these problems. They were they and they fixed it up themselves. Echo One, you remember when they get Echo One, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd li- just goes down the <laughs> litany of things that are wrong with it, and they fix it up. What was beautiful to me about the Ghostbusters film, and, the, and there's a good. YouTube video and podcast on specifically one episode on, on the Ghostbusters is you know it's about entrepreneurship and taking risks and going out there and providing a service when other people can't and getting messed with by the government in many cases in the original, and in this one it just became an action film and I think I to, think there to, was I think
1: there was some of that, I mean they still they have to find their they still have to find a place for themselves to work out of they've got to make their own equipment they are harassed by the government not to the same extent that.
2: No, not just, just I, I don't think it's, it's near, and that's why I, I want to piggyback on what Tracy said. It wasn't nearly uh, the focal point the way it was in the original as it was in this one. And, and not only that, yeah, the girls had a lot, I mean, I don't know if I would say they were handed to them, but, you know, every other male character in this film were either doofuses working against them or, like, evil.
0: Yeah, well, and the evil guy also sort of felt like
2: the geek fanboy. Yes, I, I'm glad very you very much that out. so. Especially his like, little
0: monologue to them right before he electrocutes himself.
2: Oh yes, I would. I completely agree with it. It was almost like they knew they wanted to make the villain the stereotype of the person they think would not want this film to be made.
0: That's yes, I kind of got that same impression.
2: Yes, uh, I, I walked away with that that feeling
1: too. I can see that. I didn't. That didn't strike me at all. But I can. Oh, you know, I. I that was one of the
2: things I thought about while watching it. I. I
1: See, I mean, to me, like, again, I can see what I can see what you're saying. However, that that kind of weirdo, sniveling kind of character is so prevalent all over the place that I don't, that I don't, that didn't jump out to me. All over the place in the franchise? No, no, in film in general, that kind of weirdo, loner, sniveling kind of character.
0: That apparently has been alive for like a hundred years.
1: No. Oh, uh,
2: I, I didn't catch that.
1: But no, no I mean... In the I old would,
0: photograph? Where, that what?
1: wasn't an old photograph. That was a photograph on their website of their staff.
0: Oh, I... See, yeah. I, I misunderstood that. Even the ley yep. lines thing was so just...
2: Yeah, odd, but, but here's a,
0: kind of well, I,
2: I want to double back on what Andrew just said. Yeah, the, the sniveling weird character has been a trope in Hollywood forever. I can't imagine... I can't think of a film where that character has been a genocidal maniac trying to destroy the world. I mean maybe kick-ass but but i mean especially in the context of this film it felt far more deliberate than in the context of other films
1: well and i'm not saying it's not it's not i just i'm saying that didn't jump out to me because that character is is such a trope
2: oh sure sure i mean it's definitely a trope who
0: was genuinely funny though out of the guys in this was benny he actually made me s- chuckle a couple of times. It, it's the, uh, the it's Do-
1: it's Dopinder from Deadpool. Yes, it's the te- the cab driver.
0: Yes, he. Well, I just,
1: yeah, the stuff that happened to Port to Benny.
0: I felt, and he he delivered his lines really really well. Some of the stuff that the wonton uh, running gag throughout the film was actually fairly funny, and then at the very end, r- delivering like so many wontons. <laughs> I actually, I giggled at that one. So that was,
2: that was pretty funny. Also, also Benny's bike getting blown up. Oh yes. That's he just right. kind of looks at it like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I mean, I get, the only thing that made me chuckle once or twice was actually Kristen Wiggs fawning over Chris, Hemsworth. I really? thought, yeah, I thought there were oh. like one or two parts where it did make me laugh where they're, they're pulling Kevin out of the hotel lobby or something. And she's like, good God, he's dumber than a box of rocks. What is he made of them? And Christian, no, he's made of pure muscle and tight skin. Like, <laughs> I thought that was, that made me, like, chuckle once. But that was about it. As the Dopinder stuff kind of flew by me as stupid. And- see, see, I
1: mean, like, there are definitely times throughout the movie I laughed. But I think it was not, it wasn't as consistent. You know, they would follow, it'd be, it'd be something I thought was really funny. And then it would, they would follow it up with something where I go, what the fuck was
2: that? Usually an awful mm-hmm. jump cut and a setup to another scene. Like, hey, let's just go to the alley. And I'm sitting there going, "There are no alleys like that in Manhattan. I mean, they just don't <laughs> exist." <laughs> I'm sitting there going, "This is awful. There's no alleys like that in Manhattan." Otherwise, we would have been blacked out, drunk in a couple of them. Oh yeah, we would have fallen asleep. Like <laughs> we would have
1: found things.
2: those.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Overall, I would say r- it's worthy of Redbox. It's not necessarily worthy of a place on your shelf.
2: No, certainly, certainly not. So here's. So let's talk. I, I had a prediction going all the way back to when Andrew and I did the summer previews. For the movies, I think it was in January. Yeah, I forgot when it, we it was did early, it. but I had been saying that that movie will make money, they're promoting the hell out of it. And the audiences that I saw it with were really into it. Now, I, again I saw it at late night on a Friday night, but I didn't take into account that Finding Dory and Secret Life of Pets were coming out because Finding Dory uh, this is off box office mojo, uh, dated today. Fighting Dory has now become the highest grossing animated release all time domestically.
0: Whoa.
2: Right. And Secret Life of Pets is predicted to be number one for the second weekend in a row with an estimated $50.5 million. I
0: haven't seen that yet, but the trailer was hilarious. I really, I definitely want to see that in theaters. Secret Life of Pets.
2: So now they're predicting that Ghostbusters will... 40-ish million? yeah about 46 million, according to box office Mojo. Um, this is the largest domestic opening for both director Paul Figg and uh, is it FaG or fig? Fag uh, I Feg, Yeah. And Melissa McCarthy, um, attention now will turn to the film's future prospect, mostly due to how well Fag and McCarthy films have performed beyond their opening weekend. So if you and, and the box office mojo article goes through a number of the McCarthy Feg films some where they some where they teamed up some where they were separate and and how well they've done and they go through it fairly um, fairly detailed fairly detailed and basically they more realistically we're probably looking at a domestic run around 135 to 145 million ghostbusters carries a 144 million dollar budget net after tax incentives and rebates and, and they go on to explain that it, how it's fared with audiences Uh, Internationally, Ghostbusters has received 19.1 million from the three major territories, along with a few a few smaller markets. um, Blah 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 blah. blah, And talking about how they've done in places like the UK, 6.1 million from the UK, opening on the 11th, 3.7 million from Australia, 2.2 in Brazil, uh, opening in Germany and France. Let's see here, Russia and Italy on the 28th, Germany in August 4th, France August 10th. Mexico and Spain August 12th, and Japan. Now
0: August you guys mentioned
2: yeah, that yeah, that's not, the big China's one. not mentioned.
0: I wonder China, if they're even gonna allow it. Because they censor I, stuff.
2: I, so I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: but they, they tend to Well, A, they tend to censor pieces out of movies. Oh. And and because China's become such a big market, studios tend to acquiesce ac- well, I don't know, say acquiesce to the Chinese government requests. Mm-hmm. And they'll make little changes.
0: Oh, I see. So, so their so release the is slightly so the different? Yeah, so the,
1: very the, okay. the film we see is slightly different than the film the Chinese will see frequently.
0: Okay, that makes sense. But I was going to say, I mean, coming from your Warhammer discussion, um, sometimes China is the difference between war- a movie... Warcraft. Uh, Warcraft. Warcraft, yes. Um, sometimes there is... China makes the difference between a movie that just breaks even and a movie that actually makes money. Do you think this is going to make money? I mean, that was your prediction. Think,
1: so, uh, so, so you were saying earlier your audience was not particularly responsive. I think our was, was was relatively so. I mean, it wasn't like they like Leslie Jones. I've certainly they really seen, liked Patty. I've certainly character. seen more responsive audience, you know, hands well, yeah. down. But I certainly, I think, I think we had a, a pretty responsive
2: audience. I want to be fair again. I, mine was an eleven p.m. Friday night show. I mean, ours so, was so, eight thirty on a Saturday. Yeah, so mine was a fairly small group. That um, was,
1: it was fairly, very We small we group. had a full, a pretty full theater. Admittedly, like, again, we've been going to one of the one of the theaters that's got the big, comfy reclining seats. So realistically, it's only got. It's got a little less than I think half of the the capacity of a normal mm-hmm.
2: theater. Yeah, I mean, I think mine. So that's why I don't want to judge the responses to my audience. When I judge the responses to the trailer, you know, I was seeing big movies on opening weekend with full theaters, loving that. So, uh, the theater I saw it in, there were maybe twenty or thirty of us in there, I, and it was pretty quiet. I, so sus- I, I don't I think suspect, that's
1: a fair. I suspect that um, it certainly, it's obviously, is not going to make it break any box office records. I think it'll have a decent run, though. I don't. It's. I think it's going to turn into one of those movies where people are like, "Oh, did you go see it?" No, I haven't seen it yet. And then you know, two or three weeks later, "Hey, you want to go see it?" Sure, let's go see it.
2: You know, I think. Yeah. I think it'll have some. I think it'll have some
1: longevity to it, which will help
2: it out. We will. Sh- we will see. So basically, they're saying this is going to come up to around 135 to 145 million domestically, which. That's not bad. With, right, but with a 144 million dollar budget, that's not good either, because. If that, it depends on how much the theaters take from that. And that's always different depending on the film and the deal it's made with the theaters. Also the week. Right. So usually, for instance, when Attack of the Clones came out, I remember that the studio got 100% of the opening weekend tickets. And then it slowly went in the direction of the theaters as it went on. I don't know what the deal is they made with the theaters this time. It could be 50 50-50. And then slowly increase in favor of the theaters as the weeks progress, or favor or be more favorable in the in the direction of the studios as the weeks progress. I don't know how that's lined up. So, roughly speaking, you can usually cut the domestic in half, and that's how much they actually made. So if you add marketing, and you add their budget, and you add all this other stuff, distribution, who they may just barely break even, which would surprise me. I, w- I was wrong. My prediction was this would be a big hit, it would turn a profit, and they would get a sequel out of it. And I-
0: Do you think they won't get a sequel out of it? They've definitely set one up. No,
2: I think they'll still get a
1: sequel out yes, of it, I think, we regardless.
2: Might, we might get a sequel, but the sequel might you know, be better than yeah, the original. As,
1: as much as we've talked about Sony being desperate for a, a franchise, mm-hmm. I think anything that comes anywhere close to having
2: a something like that, They're going to jump all over. Yeah, I mean, they could be. While $40 million openings aren't what they used to be, remember, and I'm reminded of Tron Legacy getting a $40 million opening a couple years ago, and they never were able to generate enough interest for another sequel. So that's a possibility. I'm still inclined to think we're going to get another one. But it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the hit that I thought it was going to be. If, I, I thought we were going to see a $200, $300 million film, and it uh, doesn't look like we're getting near that.
1: That's it, dude. Do you want to start us off?
2: Sure. So I was trying to find Conan the Slayer, and that didn't happen at all, because nobody likes Conan. So I, but, I,
1: I would like to point out, this is one of the benefits of digital comics, is I don't give a shit who's got what. I get everything I want.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if Dark Horse Dark Horse does that.
1: It, do- it is. actually, Actually, this week... On Comicsology, it was the, you know, new releases featuring Conan the Savage.
2: Yeah. Okay. Great. Because I saw it. You know, Bleeding, <laughs> Bleeding Cool was posting, and I was like, "All right, let's do this." And I went to like three different shops around around town because I almost never buy periodicals. Almost right. never. But I want to try it, this to be up to date. Sure. And didn't didn't and find it. we've been talking dark. Conan like for months. Yes. Yeah. And so I mean, really, it's just. Uh, the, the, the big project right now has been the Orwell Project. I don't know if I've told you about it. We could probably talk about it a little bit when we're done recording. But the, the Orwell Project, that's the big thing. I've been going through 1984 again, but this time with a fine-tooth comb, almost taking notes on every paragraph of that book. This, this,
1: I, this is basically after you, you, I don't want to say hijacked, but...
2: No, I was kind of invited, you know, to join annexed. them. Annexed. Yeah, annex is a good <laughs> You, annex
0: them. I mean, you yeah.
2: annexed them. Pa- after you annexed the panel. Yeah, so the idea is that I basically want Therefore I Geek to have our own panel, because you guys were going to do one on Tidewater, and I'd like to do one for us also with, this time, Orwell in mind. And I've been going through a fine tooth yeah, Pretty exhaustive
0: list of, of books and resources that you've had.
2: Yeah, I've been punching through them. I mean, not just books, I mean, like the documentaries I've been watching, the discussion panels I've been watching, tracking down, you know, his other books that are on the topic. And even, you know, you got to have a good grip of history and political history, so there's books on that. I want to make sure I have a good grip on this. And I'm going to start crowdsourcing a little bit of it because I was never, I never read the book in high school. And I know some high schools did read the book, which it blows my mind when I go through I was like, how do high schoolers know what the hell this is all about?
0: Lots so of wanna, in-depth discussion.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's exactly what that was. So I want to reach out to some educators or kids who remember reading it in high school and how the book was taught to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, that, that's really been the main problem. Also we went to it's Pride Weekend here in San Diego.
0: Oh, that's we, right. I saw photos. Yep.
2: Yeah. And I was actually sh- shockingly bored by the Pride parade.
0: Really? Because the photos looked fantastic.
2: That was one slice of a three-hour-long parade. Oh, jeez. You're, you're also
1: comparing it to, like, you know, the Halloween parade in, in the village.
2: I'm comparing it to all kinds of... Because I used to do parades when I was in um, in uh, high school. Yeah. And this one was just one giant... It felt like a giant commercial for... E- commercials for everything. So, like, there were very few, like, just out-and-proud floats. Like, the ponies, the dudes dressed as... But, like, I wanted lots of that... And there was maybe a few like it was then the CrossFit and Rocky Horror, and then everything else was local politicians, ah. uh, people chanting Hillary, and then a lot of like banks and you know Whole Foods, and it was just a bunch of corporate commercials. Sponsored. So that's
0: interesting. Yeah, corporate
2: huh. sponsored stuff. So very little community stuff that was just you know you had the every now and again you had the the free the nipple people, the anti circumcision guys came out, but it was all people with ideologies. It was very little, you know, there was some, you know, Orlando Strong stuff that was yeah. around that yeah. you saw every every couple, every hour, like, there was a new float for, uh, you know, or maybe every 40 minutes, a new float, but for the most part, I I got kind of bored by it towards the end. Yeah. It was like, this is the same stuff. It's just one commercial for something after another. So I just started playing Star Realms on the phone. <laughs> How yeah. about you guys? Uh,
1: so... Obviously, I just got back from my honeymoon. That was nine days of no internet, no phone. That was glorious. I got ungodly amounts of reading done. Awesome. I literally read every comic on my Kindle, which is 100 plus issues. I read three volumes of One Piece. I read a manga called Planets that was really good about a, a crew of what are effectively... Garbage collectors in space. They basically pick up all the, the, the orbital junk. <laughs> and uh, the one, of one of the main characters is, is trying to get on this mission going to the first manned mission going to Jupiter. So it's him him trying to get in there and getting in the training and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting. But there's also a lot of environmental topics. There's a lot of political ideas. It's, it's, it's very, very good. It's put up by Dark Horse. There's a second volume that's currently out that I want to pick up. I finished the first volume of mobile of Gundam origins, which is basically a, re- a retelling of the mobile suit Gundam anime as a manga, which is very, which is very interesting. There's like 10 volumes of that. Oh, jeez. And they're like 30 bucks a piece. I'm just like, oh, God damn it. That's so much money. <laughs> it's it's good. And so like I re- I'm going to want to buy them, but I'm going to take my time buying those. And I finished uh, The Last Colony by John Scalzi nice. that I started like six fucking months ago and I've finally gotten around to finishing. So now I need to, f- to, to pick up the next book in that series. I think it's Zoe's Tale. Uh, the, only, the, only two, the only books I didn't get to, I have three more, three more volumes of One Piece that I brought with me that I didn't get to, and uh, I only got a few more pages into Tencent Plague. That was kind of one of my last books to that that I picked up and just didn't have, have a chance to get very far on that one. But yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing.
0: Cool. I have been watching a British pre- procedural drama. I'm a big fan of procedural dramas, in case you didn't notice that prior. So I start with real usually the good ones, and then I end up watching like Criminal Minds. Sorry, Criminal Minds people. That's but like,
1: that's like I, I, start, I start watching other shows and then I end up back at the West Wing somehow.
0: Yes, every time with you. Every it time. Um,
1: Especially when election season is due, which every in the U.S. is about every 18 months. Yes. <laughs> on a good year.
0: So I've been watching this and all of the episodes in true British fashion are like an hour and 45 minutes. So it's actually each episode is like a movie. So I can only usually get through one every so often. So I've been watching that if I have not mentioned it before I read through the current issue of rat Queens and loved it so, so
1: I was actually looking into that uh, earlier today or last night it's on a little bit of a hiatus because no. uh, so Curtis Weeb who who writes it he is he basically he put he put on tweet it's actually pinned like it's the top the tweet he pinned to the top of his page
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, his goals for this summer are to finish Peter Panzerfaust. Oh yeah. Which he has not finished.
0: Oh I didn't realize that wasn't done.
1: No. So he, he, he wants to finish that and then he w- and then come back to Rack Queens. He's actually sa- he said, look, Rack Queens has not been canceled. It's just on a, a needed creative hiatus.
0: Okay. Well I hope so because I love that book. And then I also read I started back at the beginning of East of West and read through the current and oh that is such a good and it some of the things that Hickman set up you know when the first five or six issues are starting to pay off in ways that you wouldn't have expected
1: No that's what I love about him. He did, he fantastic. did the same thing in Fantastic 4 and he did the same thing in Avengers New Avengers Especially Avengers. I mean there was stuff in issue 1 that that paid off at like the last issue. It's like you son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> well, and other things that you think will go one direction go a whole different direction people that you expect to be sort of above moral reproach are actually just Shit as bags. awful if not worse <laughs> yes exactly he's a phenomenal writer and of course if you haven't read east of west you should be reading it i have a couple of books on my shelf that i'm about to dig down into and for the first time i'm finally getting to un in in four years i'm going to unpack all of my books and i know i have at least one entire box that is stuff i've purchased to read and have not read yet so i'm really excited to die for a in moment the i thought you
1: were going to say you have an entire box of stuff that's mine
0: I don't think so. I no, think I, I've no, given I, you back all of your. stuff. I think stuff.
1: in between the last the, and the and the move before this one, I think I, I reacquired all of my stuff before you moved. I last tend to time. borrow
0: a lot of. Andrew has basically a whole library, so I borrow a lot.
1: Have a whole library. That is the goal. Though. That is actually a life goal of mine: is to have basically what I think is an exhaustive comic library, to have a very 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 large example of nearly anything everything comics at least has to offer where i may not have everything but i at least you know i have pretty much everything that covers the 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 gambit i think the exception exception to that will probably be hentai but <laughs> well that's I'm, a worthy goal unlike dude i may not be a fan, i don't think i'm a fan of tentacles
2: i don't have any hentai i, I go straight european stuff that stuff is way nastier <laughs> of course it is uh, of yeah. course it is. I actually picked up the new Heavy Metal today because I, I couldn't find Conan, but I picked up Heavy Metal. So I'm looking forward to... Uh,
1: I'm glad you're enjoying that because you, you were you were not convinced about Grant Morrison.
2: No, certainly not. But I, I'm, I'm willing to give it... It doesn't have yet like the ongoing series the way they used to have, which one of the reasons why I really loved it originally. Was yeah. It had an ongoing series. It doesn't seem like he's doing that, but I'm still willing to give him... You know, it's now quarterly... So I'm willing to give it more of a chance. Um, so uh, that should be fine. Also, it's funny, I bought, I'll tell you this really quick, it's kind of funny. I bought uh, this new Napoleon Bonaparte biography. Very small, it was like the, a concise Napoleon Bonaparte. And you know how in Barnes Noble they give you, like, recommendations of other yeah. books you might want to read? All three of them were on Warren Buffett. What? Yeah, I couldn't. I'm looking at them, and it was all stuff on like Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett. It's like you you bought Napoleon, you know, the concise biography or whatever the hell it was called. Uh, you might also like Warren Buffett, you know, strategies for this. Then Warren I was like, "Did I miss Warren Buffett's invasion of Russia? When did that? I mean, I couldn't figure this one out. I was like, this is strange.
1: It, it wasn't. It wasn't Russia. It's when he pwned the
2: Austrians. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Warren Buffett's encirclement and Ulm—that's what that was. was Good God, that was like that was strange. Also, um, the Battle of the Nile. We were watching uh, this anime called uh, Anjin, demi humans. About in in Japan, there's a group of people who are called Anjin, and they just can't die. They get killed and they come right back. And it's like the social implications of what it's like to have people in your society that cannot die and the story is pretty compelling the characters are dumb as hell but i tend to, i tend to prefer a compelling story so that, was, that actually course, sounds really interesting yeah it's, it's definitely interesting um but there are parts where you're like some of these characters are doing shit that this doesn't make sense to me so it's only 13 episodes and I, I found it compelling enough i binge watched it i just i just went through it i was like i'm watching this nice uh, so it was pretty cool
1: all right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeageek.com. Check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. YouTube. So once again, I am a returning Andrew. I'm Tracy. I'm Duder. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.